The Hot Tub Industry History Series is brought to you by Watkins Wellness. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. So welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast. Today, we have Bob Lauder. From Master Spas, the founder, the former president, now the chairman of the board. He semi-retired last year, and I can't believe this is the first time that we've had you on the had you on the podcast. Uh, I'm glad to be on it, and I'm looking forward to spending some time talking about the industry. Yeah, me too. I feel like whenever I don't know, I feel like whenever we chat, I always get a few tidbits of the hot tub industry <laughs> history, and so, so I'm glad we actually are recording it for for posterity. <laughs> you get old enough, you have a lot of history behind it, and I've been in this the spa business since 1979, so it's a long time. Yeah, no, it's been. I've only done a couple of these hot tub history interviews so far. But they've been so much fun just hearing everybody's perspective and everyone has a little piece of this puzzle and of this history and of kind of the story of what happened to make the industry what it is today. And so it's been really fun to start to put some of those pieces together to put together a more cohesive <laughs> history of the hot tub industry. Right. But so how how are you enjoying retirement? I have to say... You don't look retired because you're sitting there with a suit on, <laughs> well, which is how I, I normally see you. <laughs> I, I was on a work call just before I got on this call, but I've really, I've been thoroughly enjoying being retired. I didn't think that I would enjoy it this much, but my wife and I have had a lot of fun. We've been traveling, spending a bunch of time with grandkids. So it's been a lot of fun and we've really enjoyed spending time with each other. It's been good. And we have such a good team at Master Spots that I'm not really worried about what's happening there. And I originally, they invited me to join their weekly marketing call and rep call. And I think I've called in like twice or something to each of them. <laughs> and I was originally thinking, oh, I'll call in once a month or I'll call in every mm -hmm. other week or something. And that hasn't happened. The time comes and I'm like, oh, I think I'll take my grandkids to the movies <laughs> instead of calling in. So it's been, it's been good. It's been fun, but obviously I care uh, deeply about what happens at Master's Files and we have such a, such a great team that I'm not worried about it, which is really, mm -hmm. really a, a good place to be. It's a, a fun place to be. Absolutely. So 42 years, is that 79 yeah. in the industry? I know yeah. that because that's the year my husband was born. So <laughs> that's the only way I was able to do that math. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, you probably weren't even born yet, right? Correct. Correct. I was not. The other day I caught myself when I was doing these interviews saying we and us. And then I was like, I wasn't born. Like, why am I pretending like I even know what we're talking about from the 70s in the hot tub industry? But so I feel like you and I have talked a lot about the history of Master Spas and how that came to be. But you had a whole history in the hot tub industry before you even founded Master Spas. So how did you originally get into the hot tub industry and where? Okay, so I... I was born and I grew up in Philadelphia and I was in the newspaper business and I was going to 
leave Philadelphia with my family and go to Pittsburgh to be, become the ad manager of a, a group of papers in Pittsburgh. And this was in 79. And my best friend who I'd grown up with, I've known since forever, since we were in the nursery together at church, he, his family, he was D. Adcock, his family owned a W. Adcock swimming pool distribution company. And, and they sold swimming pool kits and pumps and filters and all to, to builders. And they had some lo a location in, in Philadelphia and Huntington Valley, and they had one in Maryland. They had a number of one in Virginia Beach. And he called me up and said, I heard you're going to be leaving, but instead of moving, why don't you come and start a spa business for our company, start a spa distribution business? And I just laughed at him. I said, D, I can't even spell spa. I'm like, I don't know anything about spa. <laughs> and he said to me, nobody does. He goes, that's why you're the perfect candidate. So I don't know if that was a compliment or an insult. I'm not sure which it was. But one thing led to another, and I decided to stay. And hmm. and within a, a year or two, we were one of the biggest distributors in the country. And at that point in time, most of the spa business was done through distribution. The dealers weren't big enough to mm -hmm. sell sell to, to buy direct. Most of them were doing, on the East Coast, they were doing 25 to 50 a year. And a giant guy might do 100 a year. And I, I have dealers that on a good week, they'll do 100. It's, it's totally changed. And so mm -hmm. we were distributing a line that was made in New Jersey, a private label for us. And then we were we were selling the four lane pools, their down east line that they had, mm -hmm. and also jacuzzi, which jacuzzi at that point was almost all the hot tubs, the spas were distributed almost exclusively through plumbing supply houses. And so we were wait, just the jacuzzi brand or just all hot tubs? No, the jacuzzi brand. Okay, okay, tubs. got it. They were sold through because the main part of their business was to get at bathtubs. And so right. the, the hot tubs were a, a much smaller part of it. But mm -hmm. he started distributing jacuzzi. Within a year, we were their largest distributor. We were also distributing a line of wooden hot tubs. There was a wooden tank manufacturer in Philadelphia, right a few blocks from where I grew up, that I knew about. We used to play baseball next door to this. And they had a three-legged German Shepherd. And so anytime anybody hit the ball over into the wood uh, tank yard, we would be like drawing straws to see who would go in and have to outrace the three-legged dog uh, <laughs> to get the baseball. I knew that those guys pretty well. And they were building water towers in New York and Philadelphia, which there was zillions of them. Hmm. But the business, that business was being replaced by metal tanks and other things. And they started making redwood and then also cedar hot tubs wooden tanks for us and we sold a bunch of them interesting and at, at that time really the biggest brand name there's a few brand names that had some name recognition but the biggest one was california cooperage which mm -hmm. was based out in, in california and they were advertised they were running full page ads in and playboy uh, in gq and playboy yeah exactly yeah so they were the ones that people knew. Okay. And then you had Hot Springs, which was a brand that people knew. And mm -hmm. and then Hydrospa was a brand that people knew. And so it it took us a while, but we were able to develop the 
down east brand and the jacuzzi brand, particularly on the east coast. That's where mm -hmm. from basically Virginia to Maine, uh, we were selling product. Um, yeah, so the manufacturer in New Jersey that you're getting private labels from, who were they? It was called, it was a company called Almo Pools and they made, they originally were making gel coat spas and they were also making gel coat pools, one piece fiberglass pools, okay. but they had put a backboard machine in and started making acrylic steps and acrylic spots. And so we built a mold, had a mold built and we started selling a private label spa that they made okay. for us. And what did used, you guys call it? We call it the, now I can't think of the name <laughs> of it. Uh, it was some, but we moved away from those pretty quickly pretty, because, okay. yeah, because we had these other, we had these other product lines that were more complete. We had sure. one mold and we were trying to make that work. And we sold, we sold a bunch of them. It wasn't like when you had a complete line that came from Fort Wayne pools or uh, jacuzzi. So sure. we were able to, we were able to move to that quickly. And honestly, in the early years, 79, 80, 81, and 82, we sold a lot more wooden hot tubs than we did, than we did acrylic spots. That was where the market was at. And we called the hot tubs, old Philadelphia hot tubs. And I took some hot tubs with a photographer down to Independence Hall and we set them up and we started shooting the hot tubs. And finally, a park ranger came over and told us we had to leave. Oh, I'm but, sure. I can't even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we got the photography that we wanted with the Independence Hall in the background. And so that was the start of our old Philadelphia hot tubs. And That's amazing. Uh, do you still have those pictures somewhere? I, I do. Yeah, I do. Oh, man. So I imagine the guys who are making those wooden hot tubs, they're no longer making wooden hot tubs, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, okay. and they're, I think they're still in business, though. There are some places where uh, people want to replace a, a wooden water tank tower with another wooden one because the, yeah, the metal ones are so expensive. So I don't know if I mean, I've ever wooden, seen the, a wooden water tank before. Oh, if you look at the skyline of New York, there's thousands okay. of them. Okay, maybe I just don't uh, live in I just don't live in the right area yeah, for that. Yeah, I mean that's what the tanks all were made out of for the longest time. And if you see any old movie that's shot in New York, you'll see the wooden water towers on the skyline. They got replaced with metal and fiberglass lined and you know, mm -hmm. a bunch of different things. But the wooden tanks, those tanks lasted 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. They lasted a long time uh, if they were made out of redwood or uh, cedar. Interesting. So you're at, you're working with D. Adcock at the distribution. You're growing the spa business on the East Coast with all your various lines. And yeah. so when do you break away from that and go on to the, to the next manufacturer, the next gig? So I was doing some sales training and some other things for Fort Wayne Pools. And because they were really in the pool business. And so they were making hot tubs that they were selling through distribution they didn't really have a hot tub guy in the in their company. Mm -hmm. And so eventually we were looking for someone to private label our hot tubs because that we were making, we had a line that we were making a few models that we were manufacturing. We were building three or 400 a year or something like that. And we wanted to get Fort Wayne to do the a private label for us that we could call what we wanted it to be. And Rick Garden, who's the CEO of, 
uh, Boring Pool. So I'd gotten to know because I was doing sales training at, at their bureau meetings and that sort of thing. He said, we'll do the private label if you come to run our spa business. And so that was, that was in 88. Mm. And so I'd been with D for about 10 years and we were, it, it was starting to be the time where hot tubs were starting to be sold direct and not through distribution. And we could see that kind of the handwriting was on the wall for mm. long-term. And so D was fine with me going to do that. I was still making the, their private label. Even four-wing pools, one of the reasons that we, they wanted me to come is they wanted me to switch them from uh, distribution to a dealer direct model. Mm -hmm. I went there, I went out and started setting up dealers. And so that's where I got my manufacturing experience. And so I was there for, for six years, almost seven years. And they got bought by an equity group, which really took all the fun out of mm, the business. Before yeah. that, there was a lot of fun. Rick Martin was a great leader. And so I decided that I had to go do something else. And so I ended up becoming the uh, senior vice president of uh, LA Spas. And okay. I was running the entire company. Bill Holmes was retired. Uh, and so I came in uh, to run the company. And they had a plant in Etowah, Tennessee, which is... Uh, between Knoxville and Chattanooga, and I lived in Knoxville, and they had a plant in LA. And so I spent part of the month, I would spend a week in LA, and the rest of the time I would spend in, in Tennessee, but I mostly was traveling with our reps and okay. working with dealers to, to get them set up and working on product development and marketing and that sort of thing. Yeah. So back then, I, you said when you were still working with D, that you brought in these other lines because they were more quote unquote complete back then what would make a complete line of hot tubs like how many models would a brand have or need or want i feel like we've gone from probably small to like crazy number skews probably back down right. to a more normal number skews yeah well, I, I mean a complete line was going to be four or five models including okay. a little two person and usually at a seven foot lounge model, a seven foot, no lounge, an eight foot with a lounge and an eight foot with no lounge. Okay. Uh, Honestly, that's not that different from today, really. No, it, <laughs> There's all these is. different I configurations, mean, but really those are still the main ones that you want to have, right? <laughs> every time we branched into, we add, would add a mold that had two lounges or two dealers say, oh, we have to have this because there's a million of these being sold. And every time we would bring those out, it'd be like, eh, they're sitting, gathering the molds, gathering the dust. <laughs> That's um, funny. So, you get that like one customer that you, you lose that one sale to the customer who's, no, we right. really need a double lounge. And then suddenly you, you yeah. have to have it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it took us a while to figure out that we couldn't listen to every, we couldn't be everything to everybody. We had to have the product and we wanted to specialize in high-end product and it made it tougher to to have a million different things. You wanted to have a spa that had a lot of features yeah. and, a, and a lot of quality. And when we were at that time battling against hot springs where they just had, you know, the white skew. And so mm -hmm. it's, you can have any color you want as long as it's white, you know, yeah. Ford with the Model T. You can have any color you want except as long as it's black. And so it, it made it harder because you already have a bunch of skews. You have five or six acrylic colors and a couple of different skirt colors. And all of a sudden you got a million skews. And so 
keeping the model number low was important so that you could inventory at least some some products. So yeah, that's that's where we were. Well, so uh, what Fort Wayne when you were at Fort Wayne Pools, so they were building acrylic hot tubs at the time, and then did they have wooden skirts? I'm imagining. Yeah, we had cedar skirts, and that's what. And even getting cedar, it was getting harder and harder. Yeah, there were times that we were scrambling to come up with the cedar that we needed to mm. build. And when I went to LA spas, I was there for a year and a half, and we had grown dramatically. They had really good product, but they they didn't have really any brochures to speak of. They didn't have a marketing plan, mm. and so that's one of the things that we put together marketing, put together sales training. Because when I started in the business, I realized that Hot Springs, they weren't that afraid of us copying their product, but they were the gold standard when it came to training and literature and all the things that really makes a dealer grow. And so the mm-hmm. product have to be the best product out there. You just have to have the best story and have good training and have the dealers drink the Kool-Aid. And Hot Springs had done an excellent job at that. And, yeah. and that's what we were trying to do is we were trying to develop programs that where we had good marketing and good training and good POP and all the things that a dealer needs to be successful besides good, reliable products. Do you know when Bill Holmes founded LA Spas? I know it was before yeah, you ended yeah. up there, but. Yeah, it was um, 1978. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah. So he, he'd been in the business a long time and. He was retired and he wanted somebody to be able to run the company. And Mm -hmm. I, I actually turned him down twice to do it. And because he wanted me to live in California, I just couldn't Mm -hmm. be moving my family there. And then one night I get a call and said, I'm in Fort Wayne over at this hotel. Can you have dinner with me tomorrow night? And I went over and he's look, if you want to stay, you want to live in Knoxville or Chattanooga, fine. I'm okay with that. So that made a difference, but I was only there a year and a half and right. things were going great, but the equity group that bought Fort Wayne Pools was struggling, particularly on the hot tub side. When I was at Fort Wayne Pools, we had a little bit of home center business, like 10% and 90% was dealer business. And when I left Fort Wayne Pools, the guy they replaced me with was a group vice president at Black & Decker. And the only experience he had was home center. And about six months in, he told all the dealers that we're not going to sell you anymore. We're just going to sell to the home centers, which is the home centers aren't willing to pay for innovation and quality and all the things that a dealer is willing to pay for and yeah. the consumer is willing to pay for. Really, it, it's a really tough business. Absolutely. Oh, it's, it's, I have to have my brain sucked out before I would sell to them again. It's interesting because I feel like the number of times that you see these partnerships within the hot tub industry with a big box store or, or big brand like that, it just seems to be, there's just a, a churn to that. It's yeah. at this point, it well, feels, if at this point, it feels like almost every manufacturer has tried it and very few are, have stayed with it for longer than I would say that first contract period. Yeah. The interesting thing is that our history is littered with dead spa companies that were in the, just in the big box categories and they yeah. got put out by that. There's, I can think of a half a dozen started out like, this is the greatest thing. We're going to sell a million of these. And then mm-hmm. the next thing you know, they were out of business. So it's, 
it's enticing because they're, they talk big numbers, but it's a tough business to be in. They have such a liberal return policy. So they, people were buying hot tubs, using them for a birthday party on the weekend, then returning it on Monday. And we didn't want to be part of that. We want people that wanted to be part of their lifestyle. So anyway, four lane pools was selling just to the home centers and things were going horribly wrong there. And so I was at the opera show in January of 96. And I ran into one of the vice presidents from Portland Pools that I was friends with. And he was saying, hey, did you hear we're selling the spa division? And one thing led to another. And I called up uh, Portland Pools. I had a friend in Fort Wayne that, that had money. And he and I talked about going in and uh, partnering together in buying the business. And so we eventually were able to buy it. And it was a fire sale, but the only business they had was home center business. So we started shipping products to the home centers by March of 96, but by April of 96, I had four molds for the master spa line and we did photography and we did uh, high-end brochures. And in uh, August of that year, uh, Sam Badak and I would load four hot tubs on a backward trailer and we would go to a hotel that we rented the ballroom or a convention center. And we would invite all the local dealers to come in and we would set up and then we'd get showered and put a suit on and, and do a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation with, with the product. And so every market that we set up in, we came away with at least one deal. It was like a road show yeah. um, with our product. And it was really successful doing that. And then, so by, by the end of August, we were starting to ship Master Spas product to dealers. How did you and decide on the name Master Spas? I don't think I've ever asked you that before. There was some influence from my friend who had a one of his businesses that was called Master Works. It was a, they made tennis ball machines. Okay. And, and but I also liked the name because it, it had a biblical reference, uh, which to me was important. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having Jesus as our Lord and Master, that made it more appealing to me. And that's where the name came from, was as really the, a biblical reference yeah. to Master Spots. But it, it's, it has a lot of different meanings, connotations. You're master craftsman and you're master at what you do and a variety of different things. So, yeah. I always um, love to the story of when you showed up at Fort Wayne Pools after being gone for a few years and then or a year and a half or however long it was and coming back and finding the operation in the state that it was in and what you had to do to actually get it cleaned up and ready to make hot tubs. The plant manager that was new down at Tennessee that I had hired, when he heard that I was leaving and Terry Balmasoy, who I hired as a general manager in the Tennessee operation, when he heard that Terry was leaving and I was leaving to start this business in, in, uh, in Fort Wayne. He was like, don't leave us. Don't leave me behind. Take me with you. Yeah. So he gets up there and Terry and his family moved in on a icy, nasty day into to Fort Wayne. And our plant manager that we were going to hire, he came up and I was down in Knoxville for the weekend. I was back and forth because my uh, family still, we still had a house in Knoxville, my daughter was in high school still. And 
Terry took uh, Al Herbert over to look at the factory and it was such a junk pile. It was all kind of junk that was just like stored in there. And they were making one or two spas a day. And he looked at that and he said, Terry, he goes, I'm not doing this. He goes, this is like worse than a startup. He goes, forget about it. I'm going back to, he hadn't quit his job. He goes, I'm going back to Knoxville. Yeah, Terry called me and said, hey, Bob, this is going sideways with Al. I'm like, okay, keep him there. Let me drive up. I'll get in the car now. I'll be there in six or seven hours. Mm-hmm. And so I get there and I invite Al and his wife to go to Denny's for dinner with me. And I laid out my vision for what Master's Boss was going to be. And when he got done, he's like, when I got done doing that, he's like, okay, I'll stay. And so then Terry and I and Al spent a week on forklifts, just moving stuff out of the main building into a fenced area out back. It was just, we just jammed with all kind of junk and old holding fixtures and old molds that were all busted up and cracked up. And uh, so it, it took a little bit. It took us about uh, six weeks to get the factory up and running to manufacture the home center spas. And because they were pretty simple to make, but they were four or five jets or whatever, Mm -hmm. we were up and building 25 a day pretty quickly, which was back then was a lot of spas. The biggest thing was for us to get to the the high-end spas sold to specialty retailers, Mm because that's where the market was and still is. Yeah. So how did you get out from under the home centers? I don't know. I just, it just seems like that would be tough. (laughs) They're tough. The first year we had a few home centers. We sold to Home Depot and we sold to Home Quarters, Heckinger's and Builder's Square. They were all one group. But Home Depot was, they were growing quickly. They were the biggest guys. And we were Mm -hmm. selling a bunch of markets that they were in, but they were so difficult to deal with that they had, they had our order department in tears just about every day. The Managers from the East Coast would call up and cuss them out, and it, it was crazy. And then they didn't pay their bills. They, they just dragged <laughs> us out and dragged us out. So finally, at the end of that first year, I, even though they were our biggest customer, I was like, okay, we got to do something here. And so I went in to meet with the buyer in Chicago, and when I told him that we weren't going to sell them anymore, he completely freaked out. He was cussing at me like a sailor, and he's, nobody quits Home Depot we quit you. And I was like, yeah, here's a first because we're not going to sell you anymore. And I probably didn't have any reason right to do that because didn't wasn't 100% sure I could replace that business. But we got out of that part of it. And we were able to replace that business with dealer business. And then two years later, the home quarters and Heckinger's and Builder Square they got flipped upside down by Home Depot. Home Depot came into the market where they had been for 80 years and Mm -hmm. were well-known and they weren't afraid of Home Depot. They didn't know enough to be afraid of Home Depot. They should have. And Home Depot moved into the the Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia market and opened 120,000 square foot big box stores, 150,000. And Heckinger's had these little 60, 70,000 square foot stores. And 
in six months, home quarters practically put them out of business. They went from making a bunch of money to losing $300 million or something in, in, in two quarters. And so eventually they went bankrupt. We didn't have a choice at that point. You were out of the home center business, whether yeah, you liked it or not. I was out of the home center <laughs> business, partially by my choice with Home Depot, but yeah. partially by bankruptcy. And it forced us to really chase the dealer business. But in a way, it was really a, a blessing to us mm -hmm. because one thing is it, if it had happened the year before, it would have probably flipped us upside down because they owed us $500,000 and we ate it. And mm -hmm. so we weren't a big enough company to eat $500,000 the year before. But we were able to, that year, uh, when they went bankrupt in February, we were able to get enough dealer business that we actually made money that year. That was really the start. And then after that, we grew at a 30% a year pace for 10 years in a row, which is a crazy number because every two and a half years, you're doubling the size of your business. Mm -hmm. So- we were always scrambling. Our infrastructure wasn't right. We didn't have the right computer systems. We were always trying to catch up. We didn't have the, the people in place. And so it took us a while to get caught up to the growth, the explosive growth that we had during that time. Yeah. But it was also a lot of fun because I, t I tell people that the first two years of Master Spas, it was like pushing a freight train up the hill. And the next two years, it was like the freight train was chasing me down the hill. Mm -hmm. It was a different kind of effort once you got some momentum. And we spent a lot of time, and I, I was on the road continuously and with our reps, and Sam was traveling, and Terry was really, was really running the day-to-day -day part of the business. I mean, mm -hmm. we were obviously involved in the important decisions, but so that was what we were doing. And then in 2000, we came out with what we called the spot theater system, which right. was the TV spot. We would push a button, it pops up. And we were able to go in and work with UL because of a relationship and develop a standard, a UL standard for a, a TV spot. So we were the only guys that had a UL listed TV spot. And we were selling 12, 1500 TV spas a year. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And so that really was an inflection point where we took a big jump forward with that. And then a not many years after that, we introduced the swim spas. Mm -hmm. And the swim spas were, we spent a year planning what they were going to look like, what the propulsion system was, how we were going to move them through the system. And so it was really well thought out. We had a test tank that we built to, and had swimmers swimming in it. And we did a lot of things to make sure that this was going to be a different type of swim spa. And right out of the box, we sold a bunch mm -hmm. and, and continue. Then in 2010, we signed Michael Phelps as our partner in the swim spa business. And that just made us take off. It was like a rocket yeah. ship. We have by far the largest market share. We're probably bigger than our next three competitors combined. And we're constantly pushing and innovating and trying to come up with better swim, better exercise, better, a better propulsion system, better filtration system, all the things that, that make a swim spa something that people want in their backyards. It's not mm -hmm. second choice because they can't get a pool. It's their first choice because you can do so many things with it year round. So back in those, the early days when you guys were 
got started when you and Sam were driving around <laughs> signing up dealers right. with your trailer. <laughs> what, who were your biggest competitors back then? So I know you, you mentioned obviously Jacuzzi and the hot spring and LA spas were out there, but who else was, who else were the big no. names that you were trying yeah. to do? Sundance was really the big, the big guy in the middle. Okay. Sundance, hot springs, a Jacuzzi to a lesser extent. And then you had LA in pockets and you saw Marquee more on the West Coast. You mm -hmm. saw Dimension One, some on the West Coast and a little bit on the East Coast. And they were good competitors. Dimension One and Marquee, they made a good product. They were good marketers. But people were surprised at how fast we grew. And so we went blown by a lot of these guys and they didn't know what happened. They were like, wait, what? Where did these guys come from and how come they have so much business? So it was a lot of fun and it was... It was a lot of work, but it was more fun, I think, unless I have a bad memory. So I'm not remembering <laughs> it. <laughs> it's like having a baby when your kid's fun and you're watching them play Little League Baseball. You forget about the pain that went with it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. When they get to do that 18-month mark where they start to get really cute and have a lot of personality, yeah. that's the only reason that humanity still exists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. For Terry... If you ask me what was the most difficult time is when we went, when Heckinger's home quarters went bankrupt mm -hmm. and I had to go out and <clears throat> replace that business with dealer business. There was, that was a lot of pressure on me. And I knew that really the, the future of the company was dependent on us, myself and Sam and our reps getting that business done. That was a tough period for me. Terry would say, hands down, the pandemic was, I was working mostly remote. And now I wasn't traveling there hardly at all. So I'm doing my calls by, by Zoom with them. And a lot of the tough problems that they were facing day to day, he was handling it in person. So I can see why it was difficult. And we came through that in a really a great way. We came out healthy and our sales were great. Just prior to the pandemic, we had bought and completely gutted and renovated a new swim spot factory, 170,000 square foot building for swim spas. And we just got it online in October of 2019. Mm -hmm. And so I was saying to our guys, look, we can build 75 swim spas a day. We need to feed the beast. We need to be able to sell enough for this to make sense. And then came the pandemic six months later, and we were building as many as we could build and mm -hmm. couldn't keep up. So if we hadn't had that factory that in God's grace, we had decided to do that, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have been able to grow at all. Uh, a lot of people were, you know, they didn't have any space. They didn't have a way to expand. And so mm -hmm. they were stuck. And so that really was, gave us some breathing room during the pandemic because we had a brand new factory that we were able to uh, produce almost as many swim spas as we needed to. It's really interesting when you look across the manufacturers and yeah, some people by accident, because no one planned the yeah. pandemic, kind of had introduced some new infrastructure within the last six to 12 months that ended up being just real lifesavers for them. I've been to the Master Spas, I will call it campus because you have many buildings. Right. <laughs> I've been to the Master Spas campus and I was there. The new swim spa facility was built, but you weren't running spas down the line yet. And so you're still doing them in the old 
factory with the hot tubs. And yeah, I can't imagine how you were, you would have been able to, to keep up because you had used every square inch of that building yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wouldn't have been possible. And even warehousing, this new building gave us mm -hmm. a additional warehouse space. And then we, we hadn't even moved into the building yet. And we broke ground on a 20,000 square foot warehouse right across the parking lot from the swim spot factory so that we could store swim spots in there. And we've added an acrylic line in the swim spot factory so we can build as many swim spots as we'll need. Plus we've got a, another acrylic line that we can build uh, hot tubs in there. And so we've really expanded our capacity by a great amount. So we've got We've got seven buildings on on 45 acres. So uh, we're about 650,000 square feet. So we started out with one 90 square foot building on 10 acres, and now we're <laughs> at 45 acres and seven buildings. So it, and they're all right next to each other. So we yeah. were so fortunate to be able to get the one in the manufacturing facility that we're in, we were able to buy every building on one side and two of the four buildings on the other side. We've got, we've got it all together in, in one place. So it's really been yeah. a blessing and we're fortunate that we're in that position. Yeah. That definitely makes operations a lot easier when you're all together in one small area. Yeah. I feel so obviously master spas is really well known for the swim spas and for Michael Phelps. I think the other thing that people would say master spas is well known for is your dealers doing the big expo events. And I know that some people in the industry don't love those, <laughs> which we've talked about before, right. but that program, your dealers love it. They sell a lot of hot tubs and it's been a real inflection point. Like you said earlier right. for your business. How did you guys, how did you guys get that program started? Cause I think that, I think the infrastructure that you guys need to be able to facilitate that for your dealers has got to be, there's got to be a lot more to it than people would maybe imagine. Uh, yeah. People, a lot, of, a lot of manufacturers have tried it and a lot of manufacturers have stopped doing it because mm -hmm. it's not, it, it looks like it should be easy, but it's not. But here's what, here's what, how I actually got into this. Back in 82 or 83, I used to buy booth space at the Philadelphia Home Show, and I would get some money from Fort Wayne Pools and from Jacuzzi, and we'd set up booth, and I'd bring some dealers in from New Jersey and North Philly and different places, and so I had four dealers working it, and it was such an effort and so much money, mm -hmm. and we, we would sell 25 hot tubs or something split between the four dealers. And I said to Dean one day, D, I said, I could rent a convention center and put on a spa show and do a lot better than that. And he's like, yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Go ahead and do it. So I rented a convention center in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. It was it, actually, we had the first event in that brand new venue that was attached to a, a hotel. And Valley Forge is a very high end. It's the King of Prussia area in Philadelphia. It's a very high end area. And I went out and sold booth states to, to deck builders and pool guys and patio furniture guys. And we had four dealers and we had our freedom spas that we manufactured. And we had 
Fort Wayne Pools product there down east, and we had jacuzzi, and we had swim spas, the shells that were that we had that we bought from Greco on the West Coast. And so we advertised, and I got some celebrity there, the, one of the news anchors <laughs> came and did a story on Friday night, and we sold 130 spas in Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. That's not bad. Yeah. Especially for back then, like you said, where well, 100 I mean, spas might be was, your year. <laughs> yeah, it was like the operation was success, but the patient died. None of these dealers, I, I dumped you know, 30 or 40 orders onto these guys that are selling 25 spas. And they, they couldn't deliver them. They didn't have the money to pay us for them. It was like, holy moly, what the heck happened here? <laughs> Sounds like the pandemic. And, <laughs> yeah, so it, but we did that for... A long time until I left to go to Fort Wayne Pools. And even after I left, they did it. And finally, they sold that show. We called a Spa Expo and Leisure Living Show. Okay. And they sold it to a home show company that was doing shows there. And that became the spa business part of the home show. And so wherever I went, we would do some events like that. And we had some people in our organization that um, Tim Beal and some others that had experience doing that on the West Coast. And we got a guy that was in the advertising business that was a publisher of a newspaper, knew how to buy advertising in every media. And he started putting the shows together for us on the advertising side. And, and that's the thing is it, why so many people aren't successful. Mm-hmm. If you buy too much advertising and not in the right place, it's a disaster because it, it's so bloated, it, it doesn't work. If you don't buy enough advertising, nobody shows up and it's a total disaster. Yeah. And so you have to buy the right advertising in the right place. And so we have an expert that does that for us and getting and training show team people, salespeople, that's, that's an important part of it. So there's a lot that goes into it. And then- mm-hmm. Just being able to be able to provide on a weekend where you have 10 dealers that are doing events, you need four or 500 hot tubs that to ship out for a weekend of events during a busy season. Yeah. And then that product can't fail in the field because the dealer might be 60 or 80 miles away from his retail store. Why he can do service. It's 30 or 40 or 50% failure rate, it'll put them out of business. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to a lot of manufacturers is they got a bunch of product in the field and then there was all these failures, they had leaks and all kind of stuff. And the dealers, oh, heck with this will put me out of business. And yeah. so there's so many things that go into it to be able to do it. And so obviously it's been great for us. And, and you, there are some people that have been successful doing it, but it's for the most part that people haven't been able to find the, the secret sauce. Yeah. For a while there, I feel like when I started in the industry in 2008, the kind of traveling home shows were still a little bit of a thing. Then that went away completely. At least what I saw went away completely in the, in the recession. And then you started to see, there's a few companies who are trying to do that. And now again, where that's the only thing that they do. Right. And so it's, but it's, so it's interesting to watch how that home show, traveling show, I feel like the number of dealers who do home shows and fairs anymore has started to drop. And so it's just, it's interesting to watch those trends within the industry, but yeah, you guys seem to have found a formula that just still really works where you can 
one, you're putting on your own event, so you're not having to play by anyone else's rules. But but yeah, it's just interesting that you guys have found had a, found a formula that works as you see that, you know, other people try and fail and the popularity of these shows wax and wane. And a couple of things. You only have to have one or two really bad shows to wave you off from doing events like that. Absolutely. Because, yeah, you can lose a lot of money. They're so expensive. They're so expensive to do. And so if if you don't know exactly what you're doing, it's it can be painful. And that's what a lot of people have found out. So it's we've been doing it a long time. We had experience that, that goes way back into the 80s and doing these events and figuring out what to do and how to do it and getting the right advertising, the right mixture of social media and TV. And a lot of it in the old days, newspaper was your number one advertising expense. And most people don't even use newspapers anymore. Yeah. I mean, they don't advertise unless there's a, there's a few markets where newspapers are still strong. I live in Naples and they have a daily paper that's really strong because you have a lot of old people down here that don't have any better to do <laughs> read the paper. Our target at, market. Like, yeah, exactly. But even me who that was in the newspaper business and for the longest time I would buy I would have three newspapers every day. I'd have the daily paper from Fort Wayne, I'd have USA Today and I'd have the Wall Street Journal. And I would read all three of them cover to cover every day. I can't even remember the last time I bought a newspaper because I'm doing it all online. I have the subscription yep. to Wall Street Journal and to USA Today and to the Philadelphia Inquirer so I can see what's going on in my hometown and mm-hmm. the Fort Wayne newspaper so I can see what's going on in my adopted hometown. So I'm still reading a bunch of newspapers, but I I don't have them laying around and driving my wife crazy. Like Yeah, it's all in your feed. I'm not sure asked how was it for you guys in the pandemic because these shows had been so successful and such drivers for some of your dealers? And then suddenly it's, can you put on an event? Can you not put on an event? Are you allowed to have people? Are you not? Do you got to wear masks? What did that, obviously you talked about how much you grew there during the pandemic, but did that, did that make it weird? It made it very weird. But the when we were, the state of Indiana had a shutdown, all manufacturers, mm-hmm. and we were shut down for six weeks. But we kept our our retail store open because we sold chlorine, so we could. Mm-hmm. And we kept our warehouse where we were shipping product. And we had a bunch of inventory. The very first day that we shut down, we doubled our advertising budget. And so people were thinking, oh, this is going to be a disaster. And we were thinking that as well. But all of a sudden, there was like an explosion of leads, thousands and thousands of leads that we were generating. And these were people that were serious. They wanted to buy a hot tub. And so we had a dealer in a New York borough, which I won't mention, that they were supposed to be completely shut down. They were having people come to the back door and they were taking them through with us with a flashlight. And they were selling 30, 40 spas a month just when they were supposed to be closed. And, be, and they were all from leads that we generate. We took a different tack. We knew that we needed to generate and we knew that we needed to, for our dealers to follow up these leads. And once they realized how valuable they were, they went after them in a big way. So okay. that's what really saved us yeah. during the pandemic was that because a lot of the shows were done. They hadn't done shows. It probably was 
eight or 10 months before some markets you, you could do a show in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of markets like on the East Coast, you couldn't do a show like a year and a half. Yeah, that's the thing too. It just really depended on where you were. And it's always interesting to talk to people's different experiences as a business owner during the pandemic, because it's just wildly different as far as what they had to do to keep their business running and, and successful. You know, I will say as someone who makes their living off of people advertising, that's the, the traditional conventional wisdom, right? Is that if things slow down, you advertise more, but you don't always, you don't always see people go by the conventional wisdom. No, because the first thing advertising is hard. A lot of times it's hard to tell the results you're getting. And there's yeah. an old saying in the advertising business that only 50% of your advertising dollars gets results. And if you knew what that 50% was, you'd be a genius. I mean, figuring that out. And we were doing a bunch of things, including national full pages and national publications like Forbes and, and Entrepreneur and GQ and Better Homes and Gardens and mm -hmm. a bunch of different publications. But we also did a bunch. We more than doubled our our social media advertising during that yeah. time. And, yeah. and that's what saved us and our dealers. Our dealers would be the first to tell you that if we hadn't generated all those leads, it would have been a totally different time. And the fact that we were able to get swim spas in a not in the same time frame that we were before, but mm -hmm. in a reasonable time frame uh, made it a lot easier. So there was a bunch of swim spas sold and for dealers, their gross dollars and net margin, you know, they, you sell a bunch of swim spas and they can make you healthy in a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that it, also in the midst of all of this, you, you had a publisher be like, Hey, I know someone who needs a swim spa. <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you got any to spare? Which the answer from pretty much everyone at that time would have been, love to help you out, but we have zero swim spas. But somehow you found one in a week and yeah. a half. There wasn't any question that we were going to help you out. And <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we felt fortunate. I was glad our dealer was willing to get involved. There's Facebook groups out there. There's swim spa owners groups and there's mm. master spa swim spa owners groups. There's a bunch of different ones out there, but I go on them pretty regularly and brave. Every, every day I read somebody and says, Hey, you know what? Owning the swim spa is the best thing I ever did. And I love it. And I use it every day. And then you'll see 20 or 30 comments saying, yeah, same with me. I love it. It's great. And for people that are just buying a swim spa, it's a great place to go. If you've got problems getting your water clear and there there's people there that can answer you, including we have people that monitor the, those Facebook pages and dealers that will jump in and give mm -hmm. the right answer. And also just consumers that have had their swim spot for a long time and have figured out what it takes to keep the water clear. Yeah. So it's really, it's why I love the hot tub business and swim spot business so much is because we're, we're making people's lives better. They, they're feel healthier. They feel mm -hmm. better after they use a swim spot. And I know for me, I'm building a house down here in Naples that will be in in a few months, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, which it already has. We've been two and a half years building this because of the pandemic. And then, yeah, uh, no, I feel like the last time we got a change of address from you, it was like, I'll only be here for a couple more weeks before <laughs> I move into yeah. my new house. I'm pretty sure. So that still hasn't happened because <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that was like a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time, but we've got a high end pool that is, has gone into the, into our backyard 
in a lot of great hardscape, but we also have a swim spa that mm -hmm. is going in, that's tucked around, out of sight. And I can't wait for that to get in and for me, us to get in the house so I can use it every day. It just helps my leg. I have nerve damage in my one leg and mm -hmm. standing therapy coat helps my back and walking in the warm water makes me feel so much better and weightless. So it's not trying to walk around the neighborhood where after a while I'm limping, like I have mm -hmm. a peg leg. Uh, for me, it's been a big help. And, and for a lot of others, it's been the same thing. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's really fun to be in a business where you can really make people's lives better from the product that you sell. And that's what we've always tried to do is it's always been try to make people's lives better. And it's one of the reasons that I spent six years as the president or then the chairman of the International Hot Tub Association, because mm -hmm. we have an important industry and we need to protect our industry and make sure the product's being built safely and has proper standards and all of those things. And that doesn't happen by accident. You have to have people that are willing to get involved. And that was one of the reasons that I was willing to do it. And it was like having another full-time job, but it also <laughs> was a, a blessing to be able to be on the front line and see what was happening. And we were like Homeland Security. We were stopping things from happening to the industry that would have devastated the industry. Mm -hmm. And the dealers, they can sleep uh, well at night because we've got good people in there working on their behalf to protect them. Yeah, absolutely. The ins and outs of what the IHTA does is always really interesting to me. And if you're a dealer and you end up and you go to the Las Vegas event, the IHTA typically has an in-person meeting that they open up to the public. And I would really encourage people to go to that because every time I go in there and go to one of those meetings, I am shocked at what they've been working on behind the scenes that none mm -hmm. of us really know about. And the things that once they get up there and start explaining, if this happens, it could mean this for us. I mean, it's just, it's very interesting. And I think that it gives you such a bigger perspective on the industry at large and what's happening and where things are going. And so definitely if you are in Las Vegas this coming November, check up on the PHTA website, email them, email me, whatever you need to do and try to get yourself to that meeting because you really learn a lot. Yeah. And it's encouraging because I'm on, I was on the board and I was working with our main competitors, the yep. president of Hot Springs and the senior vice president, Mike Dunn and Steve Hammock from Hot Springs and Jacuzzi and all these mm -hmm. other brands that were there to putting aside our competitive spirit and trying to do what was best for the industry. And you need to have that. It can't be just about what's in it for me and how's this going to make my company better. It needs yeah. to be, how's it going to help the industry? And then we all do better when the tide rises and floats all the boats. And that's what we're trying to do. I will say that is the other really interesting thing when you go into that meeting, because there's not a lot of places that you're going to see all of you guys sitting at the same table. And so <laughs> that's always fun to witness as well. Yeah, it is. And I, I made a lot of good friends that I would have never, that I would be friends with them because we're right. better competitors, but end up being better friends. And I think that's such a, I don't know, that's a lesson I feel like our entire world can take from right now. Because yeah, we all tend to have a lot more in common than we think we do. And right. a lot more common goals. We may have different ways of, of trying to get there. But usually once you sit down in a room with someone and have a conversation with them, you come away having just better feelings about them in your heart. 
<laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And the ICA was an eye opener. And I was supposed to do it for uh, a year and I ended up doing it for six years. And it was a long time. And I was happy to hand the, the gavel off to somebody else. But I thought while I was there, it was an important job. And I was going to mm -hmm. do whatever I needed to do to make sure we were successful in, in our mission. Yeah. Bob, I feel like I've taken up plenty of your, your retirement hours <laughs> that you're supposed to be having right now, but thank you so much for doing this. I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a while. And so I'm glad we finally able, you had to retire for us to be able to find the time for you to do yeah, it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, uh, Megan. I love what you're doing in the industry and we need more girl power, like your company <laughs> you're doing it. I've got, I've got two daughters and I've got 15 granddaughters. So I'm, I'm surrounded by girl power. And They'll keep you I, in line. I, yeah, absolutely. And I see such talent and such tenacity. And it's really, it really makes me proud to see what they're accomplishing. And I'm proud to see what you're doing there and how successful you've been. And it, I really enjoy reading your publication. And it's, it's a pleasure spending some time on your podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.